coronavirus will change the world permanently. And here's how. On 9-11, Americans discovered that we are vulnerable to calamities we thought only happened in distant lands. The 2008 financial crisis told us that we can suffer the calamities of past eras like the economic meltdown of the Great Depression, and now the 1918 flu pandemic is suddenly a specter in our lives. The loss of innocence or complacency is a new way of being in the world that we can expect to change our doing in the world. We know now that Touching things, being with other people, and breathing the air in an enclosed space with other people can be risky. How quickly that awareness recedes will depend on people and really how we have experienced this particular pandemic. It will be different for different people. But it can never vanish completely for anyone who lived through this year at this particular juncture. It could become second nature to recoil from shaking hands or touching our faces. And we may very well all develop a society-wide OCD, as none of us can stop washing our hands now. The comfort of being in the presence of others might be replaced by a greater comfort with the absence, especially with those we don't know intimately. Instead of asking, is there a reason to do this online? We'll be asking, is there any good reason to do this in person? Unfortunately, if unintendedly, those without easy access to broadband will be further disadvantaged. The paradox of online communication will be ratcheted up. It creates more distance, yes, but also more connection as we communicate more often with people who are physically farther and farther away. Another way that coronavirus could usher in a change in our mindset as a society is fostering less individualism. We're now seeing the market-based models for social organization fail and fail catastrophically. If we look at France, if we look at Norway, if we look at many of these other countries, they're working and they're getting things together. However, as our self-seeking behavior makes this crisis so much more dangerous than it needs to be, this may usher in a better appreciation of community and, most importantly, community of a country. When this ends, we will hopefully reorient our politics and make substantial new investments in public goods for health, especially, and public services. I don't think we will become less communal. Instead, we will be better able to see how our fates are linked. And that's perhaps one of the facets of American life that 
is so disturbing in that many people do not seem to know that they are connected to other people. But we are connected. And as we face this existential threat to the world, it's time we see that. And it's time we appreciate that. The cheap burger I eat from a restaurant that denies paid sick leave to its cashiers and kitchen staff makes me more vulnerable to illness. And that's an important thing to think about. We're all connected. What my neighbor does affects me. And we need to see that. And we need to understand that. Particularly as it comes to healthcare. If as it is with this scenario, the average American, if he or she gets sick, especially with something as contractable as coronavirus, coughing and all that that entails, most likely will not go to the hospital, will not go to the doctor, because the cost is prohibitive and The worker, the citizen, has no recourse. It's either get healthy and go see a doctor or lose your job. As a, as a society, we need to rethink that. Each of us individually. It's high time. And the economy and the social order it helps support will collapse if government doesn't guarantee income for the millions of workers who will lose their jobs in a major recession or depression. Young adults will fail to launch if government doesn't help reduce or cancel their student debt. And again, we need to consider this and consider why things are the way they are. How come higher education and education in general in other countries is so affordable? In Europe, for instance, even in South America, why is it so affordable? And yet, in our country, it's prohibitive. You go to college and you are enslaved to the system. Why is that? Why do we have it like that? Certainly something to think about. The coronavirus pandemic is going to cause immense pain and suffering. As said, we are starting to see at this point. And unfortunately, or well fortunately it depends, it will force us to reconsider who we are and what we value, or better yet, what we want to value. That's probably a better question. What do we want to value? Is this what we want? 
as we face existential crisis, is this what we want? Could we do it better? Yes, we can. Others are doing it very well, and we can. Perhaps it could help us rediscover the better version of ourselves. Coronavirus could also usher in a change in our vocabulary. For instance, paradigm shift is among the most used and overused phrases in business and really any other domain. Yet, the coronavirus pandemic may be the one case where it specifically applies American society is familiar with specific model with a specific model of change operating within the existing parameters of our liberal democratic institutions, mostly free market and uh, society of expressive individualism. But the coronavirus doesn't just attack the immune system, like the Civil War, Great Depression, World War II. It has the potential to infect the foundations of free society. State and local government are moving at varying and sometimes contrary speeds to address a crisis of profound aspect and dimensions. The global economy has entered the opening stages of a recession that has the potential to become a depression already. Large parts of America have shut down entirely. Americans have said goodbye to a society of frivolity and ceaseless activity in a flash. Just like that. And the federal government has taken steps more often seen during wartime. Our collective notions of the possible have changed already in a flash. If the danger of coronavirus poses both to individual health and to public health capacity persists, we will be forced to revise our very conception of change. The paradigm will shift. Coronavirus will dethrone the tyranny of habit. As humans... We're not generally disposed to radical departures from our daily rounds, but the recent fantasy of optimizing a life for peak performance, productivity, efficiency, has created a cottage industry that tries to make the dreariest possible lives sound heroic. Jordan Peterson has been commanding lost male souls to make their beds for years now. The four-hour work week, the power of habit and atomic habits, urges readers to automate certain behaviors to keep them dutifully overworking and undereating. But COVID-19 suggests that Peterson or any other habit-preaching Martinet is not the leader for our time. Instead, consider Albert Camus, who, in his book The Plague, blames the obliteration of a fictional Algerian town by an epidemic on one thing, 
consistency. The truth is, Camus writes, of that crushingly dull port town. Everyone is bored and devotes him or herself to cultivating habits. The habit-bound townspeople lack imagination. It takes them far too long to take in that death is stalking them, and it's past time to stop taking the streetcar, working for money, bowling, and going to the movies. Maybe, as in Camus' time, it will take the dual specters of autocracy and disease to get us to listen to our common sense, our imaginations, our eccentricities, and not our programming. A more expansive and braver approach to everyday existence is now crucial so that we don't fall in line with tyrannies. Kant and orthodoxy and environmentally and physiologically devastating behaviors, including our favorite, driving cars, burning electricity, this current plague time might see a recharged commitment to a closer-to-the-bone worldview that recognizes we have a short time on this earth. The doomsday clock is a minute from midnight, and living peacefully and meaningfully together is going to take much more than bed-making and canny investments. The power of no habits. Coronavirus could also remove the regulatory barriers to online tools, such as voting and other facets of our lives that we should certainly invest some resource into making more plausible without our physical presence. COVID-19 will sweep away many of the artificial barriers to moving more of our lives online, at least that is the hope, once this ordeal is over. Not everything can become virtual, of course, but in many cases of our lives, uptake on genuinely useful online tools has been slowed by powerful legacy players, often working in collaboration with overcautious bureaucrats. Medicare, allowing billing for telemedicine, was a long overdue change. For instance, as was revisiting HIPAA to permit more medical providers to use the same tools the rest of us use every day to communicate, such as Skype, FaceTime, and email. The regulatory bureaucracy might well have dragged its feet on this for many more years, if not for this crisis. The resistance led by teachers' unions and the politicians beholden to them to allowing partial homeschooling or online learning for K-12 kids has been swept away by necessity and... Isn't it always the case that we 
as a society generally don't do anything unless necessity necessitates it. And climate change may be something coming. And the necessity to adjust to climate change is going to be hellish, more so than what we are experiencing. So it should be perhaps something that we start to engage with now. Now, it will be near impossible to put that genie back in the bottle in the fall once, hopefully, this ordeal is long gone. The genie of the online tools that we are using now, it will be near impossible, certainly. For many college students returning to an expensive dorm room on a depopulated campus, that will not be appealing, forcing massive changes in a sector that has been ripe for innovation for a long time. And while not every job can be done remotely, many people are learning that the difference between having to put on a tie and commute for an hour or Working efficiently at home was always just the ability to download one or two apps plus permissions from their boss. Once companies sort out their remote work dance steps, it will be harder and more expensive to deny employees those options. In other words, it turns out, an awful lot of meetings and doctor's appointments and classes really should have been an email that's it. And now, they will be. Another possible effect of COVID-19 slash coronavirus is it will create an opening for stronger family care. Now, this coronavirus pandemic has revealed gaping holes in our care infrastructure as millions of American families have been forced to navigate this crisis without any sort of a safety net. With loved ones sick and children suddenly coming home from school <laughs> indefinitely, they've been forced to make impossible choices among their families, their health, and financial ruin. After all, meaningful child care assistance is extremely limited Access to long-term care is a piecemeal at best, and too few workers have access to paid family and medical leave, which means that missed work means missed pay. Hopefully this crisis should unleash widespread political support for universal family care, a single public federal fund that we all contribute to, that we all benefit from, because we are a country, because this is a society. A public fund we all benefit from that helps us to take care of our families while we work, from child care and elder care to support for people with disabilities and paid family leave. Coronavirus has put a particular national spotlight on the unmet needs of the growing older population in our country. 
and the tens of millions of overstretched family and professional caregivers they rely on. Care is, and always has been, a shared responsibility. Yet, our policy has never fully supported it. This moment, challenging as it is, should jolt us into changing that. Lastly, one of the facets of positive points that the pandemic will usher in is that government becomes big pharma, what it has avoided in our society for so long, but what was almost inevitable given the way that the climate is moving and the likelihood of pandemics of this sort developing. The coronavirus has laid bare the failures of our costly, inefficient, market-based system for developing, researching, and manufacturing medicine and vaccines. COVID-19 is one of several coronavirus outbreaks we have seen over the past 20 years. Yet, the logic of our current system, a range of costly government incentives intended to stimulate private sector development, has resulted in the 18-month window we now anticipate before widespread vaccine availability. Private pharmaceutical firms simply will not prioritize a vaccine or other countermeasure for a future public health emergency until it is profitable, or rather, until its profitability is assured. And that is far too late to prevent mass disruption, as what we're seeing now, a total economic wipeout. The reality of fragile supply chains for active pharmaceutical ingredients, coupled with public outrage over patent abuses that limit the availability of new treatments, has led to an emerging bipartisan consensus that the public sector must take far more active a role and direct responsibility for the development and manufacture of medicines. That more efficient, far more resilient government approach will replace our failed 40-year experiment with market-based incentives to meet essential health needs. That is a given, hopefully. Now, there are many things that is wrong with the situation that we're in. But the facts are it certainly is an opportunity for change and a reappraisal of our situation as a society, as a people in relation to this earth, to our environment. Thanks for listening and stay safe and practice social distancing. Bye.